You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Good morning, church family. We are starting a new series this morning that's actually going to take us to the rest of the Gospel of Mark. Remember this year we are... Focusing on Jesus, we are looking at all four gospel accounts. We started with Mark, we're going to move on to Luke and then Matthew and then end up with John. A little bit out of the order of how we normally think about it, but we just want to be immersed in the story of Jesus this year. And we've gone a good ways through Mark, but now we're coming up to the concluding chapters. And one common theme I see through all the things that happened in the, leading up in the last week of Jesus' life, and one of the saddest things is he was rejected. Now, Jesus came to give, he came to offer, he came to teach and lead. And it, it ratchets up and gets more intense, but The more he offers, the more he shares, the more the people, and especially the religious leaders today, the political leaders, they reject him. Jesus comes bringing an offer of God's kingdom, and they want to hold on to their own. Catherine Schultz's book, Being Wrong, asks a question. And that question is, what does it feel like to be wrong? Not what is it like to realize you're wrong, but before you realize you're wrong, what does that feel like when you're wrong and don't know it? And she posits that it feels the exact same as being right. And when we believe we're right, even when we're wrong, we're still convinced that we are right. And because we can't tell the difference on our own, We need someone to show us when we're wrong. My kids, several of them actually, (laughs) they can be a bit stubborn. I wonder where they get that from. (sighs) Not Lisa. Uh, They they get their stubbornness directly from me and several of them in different ways when they were growing up. I, I remember one in particular, he refused to believe that an elephant was called an elephant. He wanted to call it something else, a giraffe, donkey, whatever. But he'd see a picture of an elephant. That's not an elephant. And I mean, he was so persistent. It made me wonder, well, is that an elephant? Have I got it wrong? (laughs) Whenever we believe something inherently, it, it, it is beyond our imagination, the realm of possibility that we might be wrong because, well, no, I'm right. Especially about the things I'm convicted of. And so what I need, because I'm often not right, what I need is someone who is right, and of course that's God, that's Jesus, to come and show me the ways I am not right. That's called being confronted, and in some ways it's called being disciplined. Now we put a negative spin on the word discipline, we view it as punishment. It's not. Discipline actually means teaching. It's corrective teaching. It's teaching that changes what we believe and and shines a light when maybe we didn't realize it before. That's 
how discipline works. And sometimes there's punishment involved in that whenever we want to hold tightly onto our old wrong way of doing it. We have to be confronted. And we see that confrontation, a confrontation, in Jesus' life, specifically in the cleansing of the temple. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple area and began to drive out those who were selling and buying in the temple courts. He turned over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So that the religious leaders, the religious institution of the day, the very temple, and the central hub of the worship of the God of Israel, had become a place to make money. Had become a place where you could even do shady deals and, and use extortion and the desperation of those coming to offer sacrifices against them. And religion had often been used to take someone vulnerable and rob them of what little they have. And it's nothing new, it's been around a long time. It was happening in the days of Jesus in the temple courts, the buying and selling. And that's not what God intended. That's the wrong way to do it. Now, over time, maybe adding a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, bringing the, the, the tables and the money changers and, and the, the business of exchanging animals for sacrifices, it kind of worked its way closer and closer, eventually right into the temple courts. And those religious leaders who oversaw it, they thought, we're doing what's right. Most people who are doing something wrong simply justify it to convince themselves that they're doing something right. Very few people, I've, nobody I've honestly ever known has woken up and said, you know what, I'm just going to be wrong. I'm going to be the one that's you know, making the bad choice. Normally, it's little compromises and big justifications and we find ourselves trapped in maybe a life we weren't intending to lead, but we can still justify that because our brains can't handle the notion that we can actually be wrong. And Jesus comes in and says, stop. He forcefully says, stop. He turns over the tables. He began to teach them and said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have turned it into a den of robbers. She said, you, God told you what this is supposed to be, a house for all nations to worship, to celebrate, to come and be drawn to the truths of the God of heaven and earth. And you turned it into a circus show. You've turned it into the likes of all the other temples all the other gods, just a way for the religious to make money, to get their living, using God as their crutch. God says, Jesus says, not my father. He won't do his house, his temple that way. And from that moment, things ratchet up because the leaders, those, the money changers, those doing, abusing their power there in the temple, they're, confront, they're confronted by Jesus, who confronts them with the notion of you are wrong in a powerful way that they can't miss. You are wrong, and they have two options. To realize they are wrong, which takes humility, or the option they take, the other one. 
The chief priest and the experts in the law heard it, and they considered how they could assassinate him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed by his teaching. In this passage, Jesus confronts those who should have embraced the teachings of God more than anybody else, the the, the priests, the, the scribes, the experts in the law. Jesus confronts them. He disciplines them. And there's some punishment involved, but the discipline is, I need you to correct your way of thinking, to change it, because you're thinking wrong. You're acting wrong. You're going against the will of God, not perpetuating it, not promoting it. You're actually an obstacle and a stumbling block. And Jesus, in this powerful moment, and this starts us on this trajectory, even more so to the cross. Jesus, in this moment, confronts and disciplines through his teaching and through his actions. But they are wrong. But they refuse to believe that they're wrong. They rather say, no, it must be Jesus who's wrong. We're right. Matter of fact, we better kill him before he gets out of hand. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Now the next day, as they went out from Bethlehem, he was hungry. After noticing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went over to see if he could find any fruit. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it. This is on his way into Jerusalem right before he cleanses the temple. The story is pushed right up against Jesus driving out the temple. And it's kind of a strange story. Jesus seems hungry. Well, he is hungry. We're told that. He seems, to use the term, hangry. <laughs> a little bit maybe irritable. He curses this fig tree because it doesn't have figs and it's not even the season for figs. And he says, may no one ever eat your fruit. And then he goes in and cleanses the temple. In the very next passage, the fig tree. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Jesus curses a fig tree, goes in, cleanses the temple, comes out, and the disciples are made because it's only one day and the fig tree is already withered and dead. And the fact that the, the fig tree kind of sandwiches this story of the temple, the cleansing of the temple right in the middle, we're meant to compare. We're meant to let the fig tree kind of show us in some ways, what Jesus was doing in the temple. That just as he condemned the fig tree for not producing fruit, so he condemns the temple for not producing their fruit. And just as the fig tree, rather than growing fruit in the instant when Jesus is looking for it, which you know, Jesus could have caused that to happen, not how the fig tree responded. 
the fig tree instead was cursed and died. And Israel, especially the temple and the religion of Israel, and the worship of the one true God, the God of now we still worship today the God that sent Jesus his son to correct, to discipline, to change hearts, to turn their hearts back to God. If they don't bear the fruit that Jesus is asking, they will wither and die as well. Discipline is actually meant to give life. When Jesus cleansed the temple, he wanted the temple to change. He wanted the temple to get better. Don't make this house an end of robbers. Make it my father's house again. And he corrects them. And it's an uncomfortable correction because it does throw in their face of, you are wrong. You are doing this wrong and you need to do it right. We don't like that because we always assume we're right. And they didn't like it either. So much so that they're going to react violently against Jesus. They're going to try to kill him because he's just stirring up too much. He's attacking their status quo. And their status quo, they had it pretty good because they lived off of the manipulation of doing business deals at the temple. And they could justify it. Talk about how wonderful they you know, were doing the work of God. And yeah, they just wanted their cut of the, their slice of the pie. And that was not what the temple was for. And so if they'd embraced Jesus' discipline, they could have lived. Instead, they were a tree without fruit. Given chance after chance after chance after chance by God to bear that fruit. Because they rejected the discipline, the correction he gave them so that they might live, they die. Proverbs 3 talks about correction being life-giving. My child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, for they will provide a long and full life. Don't reject my teaching, my discipline. Embrace them, because in them is actual life. A long and full life and well-being for you. Do not let mercy and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. Don't rely on your own understanding. Don't rely on the assumption that you're right and everybody else is wrong. That way leads to death. In that life, you wither up and die like that fig tree. Rather, Accept the teaching of God and even his rebuke and correction and discipline because in that is life. And yeah, it might be hard, but the end result is a full and a rich life because you have embraced what is actually right. The unchanging true nature of God himself. And that's what the religious leaders failed to do. Many of the people did. Many of the people flocked after Jesus, were amazed by his teachings, and of course his disciples followed him. And all of the early Christians on the day of Pentecost, you know, were Jews of Jewish background. 
So it's not like everyone rejected him, rejected him and uh, you know, as a whole, everyone withered up and died, but there's a strong element of many people did reject him, and specifically those who had power to lose, who were afraid of losing their influence and their place. They didn't want to be corrected. They wanted to maintain the belief that they were right. And so they rejected the discipline that could save their lives. And they continued on on their trajectory of destruction. They're trying to hold on, do what they thought was right. They were actually wrong and didn't know it. And they missed the life-giving salvation of Jesus. That instruction that could have turned everything around and they only embraced it. And I hope reading through the Gospel of Mark, I hope reading through all the Gospel accounts and digging into Jesus this year, that maybe we're going to be confronted some. That's good. That's what Jesus does. He confronts our assumptions. He corrects our misunderstandings. He, he teaches. He gives discipline. Whenever we need to change, well, let's change. Not blunder along like, oh, I'm right and I know I'm right. That's the path to darkness. That's the path to destruction. To embrace discipline. That's life. And that's the path Jesus invites us on. Even if it goes to the cross. It's still a path that leads to eternal life.